Hey, what's up? How's everyone doing? We got anyone sore? Jordan? Yeah, brother. Yeah, I know. You're in it. You know, I was actually thinking about this. I, uh, uh, so Jordan and I are, you know, are you, you're 30 yet? You're there, aren't you? No? Oh, man. It's all downhill from there, guys. Uh, so I was in, uh, I was playing in an Ultimate Frisbee League in Ames. And, uh, uh, you know, trying to show these young bucks a thing or two. And uh, I'm getting beaten up by this dude. And uh, he's beat me like every pass, all that stuff. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, so I'm trying, it was also this too, like I'm used to hippie ultimate. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. So like the ultimate Frisbee where you play barefoot, right? And you kind of just let, you let like, you know, your flowing locks go and you're one with nature, you know, like that, like we're just having fun. You know, there's no plays. You throw it up and we all frolic and we try to catch it. Okay. That's like, that's like the type of Frisbee I play. All right. So then I, I joined this league and it was like, Basically, everyone who, like, wasn't, like, good enough to play football all joined this league. You know what I mean? So it's, like, basically football with a Frisbee. So I, I'm confused. They're running plays. They're telling me to run to this side and that side. I had no idea what was going on. So I'm feeling, like, really insecure. I decided I need to actually prove myself. So I am actually getting beaten up by this dude, and I'm just deciding I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally destroy him. Um, so, so the one thing I can do is I can run. So I just ran as hard as I could. I was out in the end zone, beat the guy, foot race was amazing, leapt in the air, guys, okay? So like, and I'm seeing the end zone, I'm leaping into the end zone, successful catch with the left hand, by the way, like it was like glory, all right? And I land, and my knee goes this way, Uh, and I fall on the ground, and then all my inward sin came out in verbal words, Uh, and, and I'm on the ground writhing in pain, and it was, and... I, I, I don't even know if, I think I dropped the Frisbee too. It was just, everything was tragic, you know? Like all, the, so, so basically now I, I kind of a bum knee, uh, you know, and, and there's sort of like, I had this graph in my head of like, uh, okay, so, so you have potential glory, right? And potential injury. And, and you kind of wait to see sort of, you know, at some point the, the injury potential is going to outpace the glory potential. So then I say, I'm out. Like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, like, I'm 30, you know, above 30 now. I'm just, that was kind of the day, guys. I saw a lot of you dudes and ladies just getting glory, and I said, too much potential for injury for Andy. So I bailed. Um, okay, but those of you who have actually experienced, like, an injury before, kind of like that, um, especially athletes, you guys, like, totally get this. Like, your, your world is a little bit rocked, okay? And so, and I'm a runner, and, like, my world is rocked. Like, I still haven't been able to, like, run actually quite normally since. So, it's a weird thing, and everything seems super chaotic in those moments, right? Like the world that you once knew is now all of a sudden in question, and that happens like all over the place. We have chaotic situations all over the place in our life, right? And you guys can think about, even in your life right now, what chaotic is happening in your life or around you, and all of you could probably say on some varying degree, this is super chaotic right now. And we're asking this question, like where, what is God's just control of all of this stuff that's going around, Okay. So that's where we are now in Colossians, Colossians uh, 1, 15. We're going to be talking about Christ as sustainer to this evening, okay? Christ as the sustainer of all things. So turn to Colossians 1 again, so where we're going to be. Um, I'm going to read this section for us. So Colossians 1, 17 is where we are, 17 and 18. It's a bit shorter. Um, and he is before all things, he being Christ, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's all we're going to go through tonight, okay? Because there's some hefty stuff in that. 
Um, hey, Salt Leaders is actually a little just like a, a quick announcement for you guys. So question three on the handout that I gave you guys for tonight's discussion questions, I want you to push that back to tomorrow morning, all right? So question three, jot a note down, push that back to tomorrow morning, all right? Uh, we're not gonna, I'm not going to actually get to that today. We're going to get to it tomorrow. So, um, okay, but, so this whole idea of Christ being the sustainer of all things. All right, I have two points tonight. The first is that Christ sustains creation. And the second is Christ sustains the church. Christ sustains creation. Christ sustains the church. All right, so let's start with this. So Christ sustains creation. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. So this word, it's actually one word, all right, in the original language, hold together, one word. And literally what it means is Jesus has permanently framed in bound together, fused together, the entire cosmos, all right? Everything in creation is not this like handful of sand that Jesus is holding onto that's like sipping through his fingers, right? It's actually that he's taken all of the blocks of wood of creation and has formed it into a beautiful house, all right? That's how like he's holding it all together in that type of facet, right? So um, Christ is the one who's keeping everything in its place. It's not just a pile of junk being held together, but a marvelous house in order. So um, the way I think about it is this way. So, so my great-grandmother, Grandmother Lynn, all right, she was a sweet Southern belle uh, from Oklahoma City, uh, and she passed away at the ripe old age of 90-something, and, um, uh, uh, but she was a hoarder, all right? So some of y'all have some of those people in your life, and you know what I'm talking about. Like, you go to Kohl's, and you buy as much costume jewelry as you can possibly get. This was my great-grandmother, Lynn. So when she died, we went into her house and we found all of her very strange collections of stuff that she would hoard. Costume jewelry was one, high-heeled shoes went another, belts were another. Guys, piles of high-heeled shoes in her house, all right? All over the place. Nothing had order, nothing had purpose. It was the most like chaotic, crazy thing you could ever imagine. Literally like an episode of Hoarders. You guys seen that on like, you know, PBS, like super creepy? Not PBS. What is it? Lifetime? Nah, not even that either. It's fine. Cartoon Network, I'm sure. So uh, all that. Uh, but okay, so, so that's my side, all right? So I got hoarders in my family. My dad's got it, you know, like all this type of stuff. I kind of got it. I got the junk drawer and like, I, you know, I really, you know, can cram that thing. Uh, so, but on my wife's side, Emily's side, she had great grandma. Dee Dee is what they called her, Dee Dee. And Dee Dee was a petite, teeny little gal from uh, some weird, some small town in Wisconsin somewhere, actually. I don't, I don't quite remember. But anyway, but small little town. Um, and she was the antithesis of a hoarder, all right? This woman had every, like, little, like, perfect, cute little, you know, old lady knickknacks, like, all over the place. But every single thing had a place, every single one. And so I went and visited Dee Dee. And uh, it was really sweet. It was actually a few months before she passed away. So I got to see her house and it was crazy. I remember going into the house. Didi was still like living there at the time. And, um, and, and my wife and my mother-in-law were both there and I was staying in the guest room and Emily and my mother-in-law like run in before me and they're like, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. And so they literally run into this bedroom and purposefully, she had like 16 throw pillows on this like bed that I was gonna, it was like a twin bed with 16 throw pillows, it was ridiculous. So uh, all these things are, but they all were purposefully placed. And so Emily and her mom took a picture of where they were placed, perfectly set them on the side of the bed and said, okay, Andy, now you can go to sleep. Because then the very next morning they looked at the picture and purposefully put every single throw pillar back. I'm like, I live with crazy people. 
And, but here's, here's what was going on. Every single thing in that house had a place. That is how meticulous Jesus is with all of creation. He's holding all of it together. Every single thing has a place. Nothing goes out of his gaze. Nothing falls when he doesn't want it to. Everything has a place. Everything has a purpose. From the earth rotating and spinning in orbit to your very cells keeping their shape in your body. It is Christ Jesus that is holding them all together in their perfect place. So who is Jesus? He's the one that is sustaining all things and holding it together. Often, and I said this earlier, our life seems completely out of place and completely out of control. So I can think of it in this way. You can think of it in society, in your situation, and even in your own soul. You think about all the chaos that's around you, right? In society, we look at racism. We look at political upheaval. We look at violence all over the place. We look at just the chaos that's happening in Washington, like, like what is happening, right? Like all over the place, just confusion, chaos. Everything in society seems bonkers, especially right now. And you guys know that. In the city of Minneapolis, even, there's stuff that's just bonkers happening all over the place. It's been happening. I, I remember when Philando Castile got shot. And I was just like, it was insane. And then just all that stuff happening all across the United States. But then you have our situations in the life that we're living. The chaos of our situations, of family and friends that are having health issues. Of our parents who are either getting a divorce or should, or about to, or whatever. They were looking at the abuse and and injustice that some of you have actually experienced in your own life. You can think about our own souls and the chaos that can be found within our own souls. Some of you have come and you have had this sin that you cannot shake and everything seems like chaos. Some of you have deep depression and suicidal thoughts that you don't even know what to do with and everything seems like chaos. Some of you can't fall asleep at night because you're so anxious and life is so chaotic. So in society, in our situations, in our world, everything is crazy. And we scramble to see if we can get it under control, don't we? We totally scramble to see if we can get it under control. We scramble, actually, even in society, we do the scrambling, looking for the next movement or agenda that will help us make sense of what is happening in society. Scrambling all over the place, looking for something that makes sense. I think you can look at like the Me Too movement and you can say what you want about it. But it's just society scrambling, trying to make sense of all the atrocities and awfulness that's happening all around us. People scrambling to try to make sense of the chaos and the awfulness and the sin that's around them. I think we're scrambling to control our broken situations and our broken souls, putting on a good face, pretending like everything is okay, self-medicating, working like crazy, trying to fix our life. We scramble, salt company, for we're trying to gain control. We're trying to bring order to chaos. That's what we're trying to do. But here's the beautiful reality that I want you guys to find peace in in seeing Colossians chapter 1, especially verse 17 about Jesus being our sustainer, is that in any catastrophic thing in life that seems just so chaotic and out of control, Jesus Christ is perfectly and capably holding it all together. 
He's bringing order to the chaos. He's keeping the cosmos from chaos, and he's continuing to do so. If he can keep all of the galaxies in orbit, he can keep the craziness in your life in orbit. He truly can. He has not left you or forsaken you. He knows what he's doing. He's been before all things from the beginning. Nothing is surprising to him. And he's in complete control of what is happening. He's holding it all together. And how much peace can that actually bring you if you actually believe that that is who Jesus is? We can be free from the scrambling of trying to take control and rest in knowing that Christ Jesus is in control. He's sustaining all things in creation. Therefore, he's sustaining all of the chaos in your life. So that's Jesus sustaining creation, okay? But also Jesus is sustaining the church. So um, I want to talk about the how Jesus sustains the church and why Jesus sustains the church. So here's the how. How he sustains his church is by leading the church and nourishing the church. Leading the church and nourishing the church. So I see this in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Okay, this word head, all right, is a very important biblical term that's all over the place. And Paul's using it on purpose here because this whole is an understanding of leadership, of headship. The head of the body is the analogy he's wanting us to think of. So, and we can think about this idea of head and leadership and someone who's in control, right? Um, so, so the word literally, like, like the idea behind it all is talking about someone who's a superior, a chief, a principal, one to whom others are subordinate, a leader. The leader of any organization is the one who provides direction and meaning to that organization, right? Okay, so um, one of the uh, um, crazy things that happened to me in the uh, Spirit Lake High School, which is where I went. Anyone know where Okaboji is? Yeah, you got anybody? See? Okay, so yep, my backyard. So uh, Spirit Lake, uh, went to that high school. So here's um, okay, so I was a skinny, awkward, uncoordinated cross-country runner. So, so I'm not cool in high school, all right? But things actually, you look at a cross-country runner and you feel kind of cool when the football team is terrible. And that was my experience. Okay, so that is having some glory because the football team was awful. So our football team was run by this dude named Grimius. That was his last name, all right? So I'm not making this up. Our school was defeated three years in a row while I was in high school. They, we would, okay, so we had a cannon that you would fire off for a touchdown. We just fired it off at first downs because we never scored touchdowns. It was like, a, it was just a total atrocity, guys. It was total embarrassment. It was, but hey, cross-country runners were dope because they were like, man, I don't have to hold my head. Like, you know, just don't look at me. I'm ashamed. Like, it's like, hey, we run, we run conference. What's up? You know, like that's like our life. Okay, so that's how terrible it was. But it was led by Grimius, all right? And here's the reality. He was the coach of this football program who clearly provided no direction to this team and thereby brought no meaning to those football players. I mean, they had zero meaning. This is what was crazy. I don't know. Somehow the dude got a job in Sibley and he's tanking that program now too. I'm just, I'm looking at him like, we just need to probably be done with Grimmie. He's a good man, not a good coach. That's just, so, but here's this reality. A good leader brings direction and brings meaning brings direction and brings meaning. And Jesus, the head of the body, okay? And if you think about a head of your literal body, okay? Your head is the one that tells all of your body parts to move. It's your brain that tells it to do this. 
That was very awkward. You guys will see that tonight in its full glory of the awkwardness of Andy Norris on the dance floor. I do a lot of this. This is my signature move. It's like the, okay. So um, he unites, the brain unites all of the body parts together. All the diverse pieces of the body all are united together because the head unites them. The head gives them direction and meaning. The head leads the body. And so thankfully, we have a head who is a perfect leader that gives us direction in our life, purpose in our life. Many of you are floundering right now trying to figure out what in the world is the purpose of my life. Let me tell you what, the greatest leader of all time is the sustainer of all things. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, he's the one that gives you ultimate direction and purpose in your life. He gives your life meaning. Everything that you need to know about life and the purpose of your life, you find from the head, which is Jesus Christ. You want to know what to do with your life? Consult Jesus. Spend some time with him. Have some conversations with him about what, what should I be passionate about? How do I use my career to further your kingdom? Have conversations with him. He knows what he's doing. He's going to lead you and direct you and give you meaning in your life. That's Jesus. He leads the body, but he also nourishes the body, okay? So I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. Colossians 2, 19. So this is Paul just elaborating on this idea of Jesus being the head and how the head nourishes the body, okay, as a component of him sustaining it. So two, um, Colossians 2, 19, and holding fast to the head. Actually, he's talking about the opponents here who are not holding fast to the head, but then he elaborates and he says, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So, life and nourishment is being connected to the head. Life and nourishment and growth is being connected to Jesus. Apart from him, there is no life. There is malnourishment, and there is the opposite of growth. There is death. So when I was uh, working, okay, so lived in, lived in the Okoboji area, worked at a resort in Okoboji. So there's this legendary story that was indeed true because I saw the proof of it. Um, that, uh, so, okay, so, so how this worked was uh, uh, Triggs Bay Resort was where I worked, and uh, they had docks, okay, that went out into the lake, and it had a gas, gas tanks on the end, like a, a pump, where you could pump boats. Instead of people needed to leave their, out of the water, they could just drive up, gas up, and then they'd leave. Um, so that's where I'd get like all my tips, all right? All my McDonald's money came from basically pumping gas, all right? So, so I'd run out, and you want to go quick. You want to be like, you know, you're doing whatever. But all of us would run on the dock like gingerly because of the legendary story of this that happened. So there was a guy who worked, uh, who actually still is working there today. His name is Roland. Um, and Roland, back in like the late 80s, was running down the dock doing the exact same thing. It was 90s, actually. He's not that old. So 90s, but running down the dock. Um, and, uh, and he wanted to get this gas, you know, customer. Ran out huge boats. He knew he was going to get the big bucks. It's what you do. So he showed up. He gassed up the boat. It was great. And he was running back to get the guy change, okay? So he was running. He was running on the dock, like kind of stubbed his toe a little bit. And it was like, dang it, that hurt like super bad. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, be cool, be cool, I'm fine, I gotta, I'm gonna get the big bucks. So he goes in, um, he's standing in the uh, office and uh, one of the coworkers, this guy named Jim, is like, dude, Roland, your, your toe is bleeding, man, like pretty bad. And he's like, yeah, I stubbed it, it's fine, I gotta get back to this. He goes, 
No, man, it's bleeding really bad. Roland looked down, and he did not have a pinky toe. So then, <laughs> Caleb shaking his head, no. Mm-mm. So, dude, so they went down on the dock, and they found his pinky toe wedged in between the slats on the dock. Okay? So, so, dude, so, so they, they run out, and they grab the pinky toe, all right? This time out. There's more to the story. Grab the pinky toe, and they're, like, running, like running back in, okay? And they, like, they, like, put it on ice to try to, like, bring it. So they go to the hospital. He's just gushing blood, you know, out of his foot. So, so they go to the hospital, and they're just, like, I'm sorry. It's too late. The toe's dead. There's nothing we can do. So you can look at Roland today, and he has five, I'm sorry, four <laughs> toes lacking a pinky. It's creepy, but here's what's crazy. He filed for dismemberment and paid off his college loans. Guys, if you're desperate, if you need to have freedom from that debt, you to sacrifice one pinky toe, and you can walk out of college debt-free. Amen. That's what's true. I'm not making that story up. All of that is true. You can go see Roland's toe today. He's got four of them. All right. Focus back up. Real story. Here's the point. Here's the point. Body parts. Body parts can't survive without being connected to the body because they're not connected to the head. Body parts can't survive if they're not connected to the body because that means they're not connected to the head. Left alone, they're gonna perish. So this is something that we all need to radically think about. Here's how Jesus has set up the way in which he works and having access to him. You're a part of a community of people called the church. That's how you stay connected to the life, nourishment, and growth of the head, is you're connected to the whole rest of the body. That's how it's all worked. And many of us would say this, that we actually are having issues with the church. That a lot of us would look at the church and say, I don't know how I can feel about all of the horrible things that has happened all around me in the church. You've heard of like Willow Creek, okay, one of the biggest churches in the United States, an immoral affair of the lead pastor. And saying, how can I trust leaders that are like that? And you're looking all around even the churches you guys grew up in, and you're saying, I don't, they were jerks. They judged me, they rejected me, they did this to my parents, like yada, yada, yada. Or just even how Christians behave today and saying, if I associate myself with them, who in the world am I? That's the tension that, guys, I feel. That's the church, is the church is full of jacked up people that are unfaithful to the call of God. And many of us would say, I'm really cool with Jesus, but I'm not cool with his church. Many of us would say that. But, We also do this, though. Okay, so we have that perspective on the church. So therefore, we go to different directions to try to find nourishment and life in our lives. Nourishment and growth. Where are you looking for meaning and nourishment right now? Okay, some of you could still be in the church, 
But I'm still asking you that question. Where are you currently looking for meaning and nourishment? What is the one thing that you're counting on to bring you life? Is it relationships? Is it an experience? Is it future career aspirations? Everything but Christ is going to leave you empty, malnourished, and lifeless. That's what we understand here. But we're all tempted to run after other things to try to find that nourishment and that meaning. Not even tempted, we're all doing it, let's be honest. What is that thing that you're running to? To try to find meaning in lifeness, but when you think about it, you're actually left super empty and miserable. Christ is the head of the body of the church, which we are a part of when we believe in Christ. Left to your own, get this, left to your own. You are directionless, not knowing where to turn. Left to your own. You are malnourished and lifeless, like a dismembered body part. You need the church because the church is where the head exists, Jesus. You are connected to it. You must stay connected to it. So this is how you stay connected to Jesus. That's how you stay connected to him. He's the head of it all. So that's the, just the how he sustains and, and why he does that. It's, it, it, well, now I'm getting to the why rather. So here's the why Jesus sustains his church, okay? I'm just talking about him. I actually laid out the why we need to stay connected to the church, but I'm laying out why he seeks to sustain the church. And it's because of two reasons that the church is purposeful and the church is precious to him. The church is purposeful and the church is precious. So purposeful. The church of Jesus Christ is plan A for Jesus to bring forth his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's plan A. To be the witness to the world, the primary way in which he brings heaven on earth here. Paul says this in Ephesians 3 verse 10, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God uses the church to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to display his glory to an unbelieving world. He uses the church, which is full of jacked up sinful people redeemed by a loving savior. That's what he does. To show off to the world who Jesus is, the loving, gracious, merciful king of the universe. He sustains the church, leading her, nourishing her, so that he can send her on mission to bring in more and more and more and more into his kingdom. The way in which he does it is through the church. It's his plan A. It's purposeful. So that's why he sustains it, so that it can continue to do the purpose by which he instituted it all, is to bring forth his glory and bring others into his kingdom. So I also wanted to articulate that this church of Jesus Christ is incredibly precious to him as well. Christ loves the church, and the New Testament describes it as a groom loving his bride. So I'm going to read this from Ephesians 5 to you. Some of you have heard this verse before. This is in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Okay, Paul wrote that. He's basically saying this whole thing of marriage is crazy. It blows our minds. 
because this is the living illustration of how Jesus Christ feels about his church, about a husband loving his wife. So one of my favorite parts about being a pastor is being able to officiate weddings. And here's why. Because I get a front row seat in seeing that dude see his wife for the first time coming through those doors into the sanctuary, coming down the aisle full of beauty in her wedding dress. Everything that he's been waiting for is now just like about to happen. The love of his life, he's gonna be in union with her. They're gonna start life together, all of this. But here's the second favorite part about all this. I love seeing the dudes that weren't expecting that to come, okay? Meaning this, some guys love to uh, basically just um, kind of play this off like they're a, uh, they're, they're super robotic dudes. They don't feel a lot of emotion. They're going to be fine on their wedding day. Those dudes are the best to watch because they get smacked in the face by two by four with emotion and they don't know what to do with themselves. So actually, my two favorite stories, okay? Um, one of them is actually from Jordan's best friend. Uh, it was the best thing I've ever seen. His name's Logan. Uh, and so Logan was one of those guys. Logan's like, man, I just don't feel feelings. I don't know. It's fine though. We don't get dramatic or anything. It's cool, you know? So he's like totally doing that all the time. And uh, so we're standing there. And, um, and, and here comes his, his bride, Courtney. She comes over. We're outside. Jordan was literally standing there. He saw this happen. So, so we're, I'm, I'm standing there. I'm officiating this. Jordan's his best man standing right next to him. And Logan, guys, sees Courtney and starts crying, okay? But it's not like a cry. <laughs> like he was boo-hooing, okay? Like, like snot dripping, like, 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 right? And I literally, I literally, so he's like doing this and he's not stopping, guys. He's like getting worse. And so I finally look at him, I go, hey, Logan, we got a lot of work to do, dude. You got to focus up. Like, so, so he did, he survived, it was amazing. But the second favorite one was this guy named Testify. Testify, same thing, like super, like just super chill. He's like, you know, uh, he's a cartologist. So he literally, you know, how can you be like a up and down person if you're just drawing maps all day? So anyway, uh, so he, so his wife comes down, and he guys just froze. So he's just seriously like this, like the whole time. And he's getting some tears, but he just freezes. So, 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 so anyway, and I'm like, I'm kind of like, hey, Testify, we got to come up on the stage now. So I'm like, come on, but come on, dude. And Larie's like, yeah, come on, this is great. So Larie's like, I'm, I'm giving the message. And Larie's like, uh-huh, amen. She's like talking back, everything. And Testify, guys, was like looking past me. <laughs> Like, he was, like, swag like this. And Marie, like, nudged him a couple of times. And I go, to I'm like, testify, do you remember anything he said? He goes, nah. I had no idea what was happening. I was just caught up in the emotion of all of it, right? Like, so it's one of my favorite parts. Because you're seeing a glimpse of the joy that Jesus Christ has in his bride, the church. Deep, profound excitement and joy for his bride. He will do anything for her. Anything for her because of how much he loves her. I'm going back to this. Back to the idea of being cool with Jesus but not cool with his church. So on one end, this is kind of the tough part that we need to realize. So being cool with Jesus and not cool with his church is equivalent to you being cool with me but not being cool with my wife Emily. If you got beef with her, you got beef with me, right? Because I love her. I'm going to do anything for her. So if you want to be in unity with me, you must strive for unity with my wife. We who are struggling with the church, that's the level of severity 
by which Jesus is zealous for his love for his church, which is crazy because when you believe in Jesus, you're caught up in it. But that's how serious we need to take this. That if we're not cool with the church, we got actually a big problem on our hands. But here's the positive end, and I think the encouraging and the way in which I think we can helpfully think about this as well is that Christ loves his church even in the midst of all of her brokenness and mess. Because his love isn't contingent upon the church's faithfulness or goodness or perfection. Jesus' love for his church is based upon his faithfulness, goodness, and protection of her. That's his entire end goal, is that. Of I'm going to love my church, and she is going to fail, but actually it's my success that solidifies my love for her. That's what's true about all of us, by the way, Salt Company. Jesus is faithful to you even when you are unfaithful to him. And so, he hasn't given up on his church. He hasn't given up on you. Therefore, we are called not to give up on the church. Because that's not how the gospel of Jesus Christ worked. If it is based upon us being really incredibly perfect, we're all doomed, guys. But it's not. It's based upon how perfect he is. That's what it's based upon. Christ loves his body, the church, like a husband loves his bride, who will do anything for her. He gave himself up for her. Gave everything so that she might be with him. Bought her freedom with his precious blood so that he can make her precious. And simultaneously, when you believe in Jesus, you get caught up in that reality that Jesus paid his precious blood for you, purchasing you, redeeming you, so that he can make you precious. So that he can look at you and he can say, hear this, that when you place your faith in Christ, you become precious to him. He gives up everything so you can be forgiven, you can be accepted, you can be loved, you can be restored, you can have purpose, meaning, life, and abundance. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he purchased you. And when you believe in him, you become precious to him. So here's this. This is how I'm going to conclude. I want to conclude with this reality. Do you realize that the sustainer Jesus, who is holding all things together, everything in their place, set up this very retreat on purpose for you? Like you, individually, you. Because he desires either for you to remember how precious you are because he's redeemed you and restored you, or he wants to make you precious by you placing your faith in him. Do you realize that Jesus, who's holding all things together, has set up this very retreat on purpose? You, hear the, you can hear the good news that he came for you, even though you didn't deserve it. That he set this retreat up on purpose to reveal to you that you are indeed scrambling, trying to control the chaos in your life, and he's calling you to turn to him the one who holds all things together, who's in control and knows what he's doing, saying to you, Salcom, you come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm gonna give you rest. Be at peace. I'm in control. I'm a good shepherd. Lie down. I'm in control. And he set up this retreat on purpose to reveal to you that 
You're, you are actually lifeless and completely malnourished and not connected to the head. Exhausted from searching for life and meaning and things that are leaving you empty. And he's calling you to turn to him. The one who is the head of the body, the church, who is the source of all life and abundance, who sees his own people as precious in his sight. Do you understand that nothing happens in this world without Jesus setting it up on purpose? For those of you who don't know Jesus, are you asking how? How do I become a Christian? How do I have a relationship with God like this? How do I know Jesus like this? I know actually maybe who he is now, perhaps for the first time. I know what he's done. What do I do? And here's what the Bible says. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Repent of your sin and believe that he indeed came for you. That he set up all of redemptive history on purpose so that you could get caught up in the saving grace of a redeeming God who wants to shed his precious blood to make you precious, who has shed his precious blood to make you precious. You will be counted among those that he sees as that. Abundant life is available in him. Stop looking elsewhere and turn to Jesus, the sustainer of all creation, the sustainer of the church, and the sustainer of your soul. I invite you guys just to close your eyes. And I don't know where you're actually at right now. You can be absolutely scrambling. Um, you can be seriously feeling exhausted and totally malnourished right now because you are running after all these things that are leaving you completely empty. Or you actually don't know who in the world Jesus is and you're trying to figure all that out right now. So this is just what I, I just want to leave this to be just a time for you guys. As the worship team's coming up, music's going to start. I just want you guys to just talk to Jesus. Even if you don't quite understand who he is, let me tell you what. He's the king of the universe and he listens when people talk to him. So wherever you're at, scrambling, searching, hungry, thirsty, tired, wanting to actually find peace, wanting to actually know this Jesus perhaps for the first time, talk to him. Perhaps pray to him to say, I want to know you. I want to believe in you. Forgive me. I'm done trying. I know who you are. You're the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things, and you came for me. And if you guys know that truth, pray that Jesus would Restore the joy of your salvation even in this moment and let that truth that you are precious to him be washed over you, salt company. So take some time and just spend some time with Jesus right now.